This talk's probably probably the heaviest talk, but it's also probably most powerful in many ways. The unique thing that that Neil Lozano brings to um, the brings to this, the unbound method is what people have told me says is this idea of renunciation. You know, um, we talked about forgiveness, and that little example I made about the wound in the hand. But the renunciation is then kind of keeps the wound being, from being infected again and keeps it healing. And so it's a powerful way in which God wants to work in us. Um, this renunciation, what it does, is just so powerful. It breaks the power of our enemies. So verbalizing the authority releases the lie's power over us and breaks the evil one's legal access over our life. Okay. What it means is that we are done with it. There's no place for it. It breaks the enemy's access. Now, the enemy is very, is very, it's legalistic. You know, he can only do what God allows him to do. He follows the laws, you know, and I'll, I'll talk more about that later. But the, the, the fact is, is that, you know, when we give him right to be there, for example, we foster and we kind of nourish this anger that I've got at my brother and sister or my, my mom or dad or my coworker, and we just kind of, we just can't quite let that go. Well, guess what? You know, like a magnet, North Pole or South Pole, so we've got that inside of us. Guess who has right to come and f- spend time with us? The spirit of anger. Because we're holding it. So he says, hey, that's my place. I can be there. When we forgive, we break the bond. We break the legal right. And then we can set free. But that's where these, this, this works together. Is that it's not like it's the spirit doing everything. We've usually first hold on to these things ourselves because of our own brokenness, original sin, our own weakness. And so that's where it's us doing the renunciation because it's both not only a spirit, but it's also I'm rejecting that as part of my life. So I'm rejecting the chair they sit in as well as the, the, the spirit sitting in it. And the chair they sit in around our heart is my own tendency to hold on to that anger, bitterness, resentment in my life, pain and hurt. And not to let Jesus fill it with his love. Renunciation is part of our heritage as believers. RCIA, the right of Christian initiation. In the ancient church, the 3rd and 4th centuries, early on, early Christians used excluded intense scrutiny and renunciation of specific things. Much renunciation they did for two, three years. Okay, this was always part of their prayer and their formation. It was really breaking the, all these things in their life. At baptism at the Easter Vigil, and each Easter for us, there is a public expression of what was privately renounced before. We renounce Satan and all his works and empty promises. We profess our faith. We acknowledge our passion from death. We acknowledge the acknowledgement of passion from death to life in, in the waters of baptism. So we encounter him in the waters of baptism. Renunciation is part of our ongoing conversion. They all made a personal decision to follow Christ. And they expressed that publicly at baptism. Now, it's powerful witness of that, of that renunciation going on is that the, the tradition of the church back then was that they would do this in the middle of the night, basically just before sunrise. And they would be facing the West, the darkness, which they would renounce darkness and evil and Satan. And they would then finally spit to the West in the darkness, and they would turn to the rising sun and profess the faith in Christ. What a powerful moment before your baptism. You know, living it in the midst of creation. But that's what they used to do. It was so powerful. Renunciation is part of our ongoing conversion. You know, they made that personal decision. So remember the words of St. John Paul in the Catholic Catechism. Conversion and faith is accepting by a personal decision the saving sovereignty of Christ who dwells in us, that he may lead our life and becoming his disciple, his follower. 
Renunciation is part of our ongoing conversion. After we make a personal decision to follow Christ, we must choose to become his disciple and be like him in renouncing the things that, that he does not, does not belong to him. Remember the photographer. We must be believers and followers. Believers and followers. Conversion to Christ is ongoing throughout our life, throughout our life, my life. Renunciation is preceded by the uncovering of Satan's entryways. This is, I kind of gave a little example in the last talk about finding that entryway and how that's such a crucial, crucial moment um, when we can get there and find that. Identifying our enemies and exposing them to light gives us power over them. You know, we know who's, you know, it's like if you know um, the, the, uh, who's, 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 who's uh, stealing your tomatoes, you know, you, you know who to, who to, how to protect yourself, you know. Um, identifying our enemies and exposing them to light gives us power over them. Listen and look for how entryways developed into patterns. Recognize also that demonic influence is an interaction with spirits. Our own sin, our own sin, remember as I was explaining, past circumstances, our hurts and things like that, and resulting scars and personality. You know, so recognize that the demonic influence is an interaction with spirits, our own sin, past circumstances, and the resulting scars and personality that we have also. All that is work. You know, it's a reality that's called entanglement. Entanglement is when literally the spirit gets entangled, the bad spirits get entangled with our weaknesses, our psychological, our personality weaknesses. They get, they get woven inside there. And so we don't really, we, so we have to start to work on ourselves in overcoming our weaknesses. Maybe it's through counseling, maybe it's through a good confession. And when we heal those wounds in our own psychological, by God's grace and by his light and his truth, the enemy can't stay there anymore either. So there's an entanglement that happens. Um, and so that's where the good confession, you know, Saint, uh, our Father Gabriel Amorth, the exorcist of Rome, says one good confession is better than hundreds of exorcisms. One good confession is more powerful than hundreds of exorcisms. That's the power of the confessional. That's the power that can transform. So acknowledge, maybe, how do these things happen? What does all work, work together? Well, here's, a, here's just a hypothetical situation. Let's say before ultrasounds, a mother and her, and, her, and her father may have desperately desired a little baby boy or girl. And when the baby born was born, it was not what they wanted. And in a moment of disappointment and pain, one parent may have said or done something disparaging. Or maybe a name was given to reflect the desire for the other gender. Now say that was recounted to the child in their youth. What might the scar be? Very deep, but a sense of shame and unworthiness that may subtly undermine much of their life, depending on their own temperament and disposition and life experiences. Maybe they were teased for the name. Maybe the cumulative effect of life's hurts and difficulties. You see how some natural things and all of a sudden, hurts become something that hurts someone else and becomes stuck with that and becomes part of our life without realizing that that's hurting us. Um, so it's, it's looking back with a, with a gentle voice, so to say, and a gentle look at our own life saying, or someone else's life, listening with a gentle ear thinking, wow, maybe that's where that came from. When did you first start thinking about that or feeling like that? How did you feel when that happened? Where did that start? You know, there are eight frequent entryways for the enemy. That's what we're going to go through. Uncover entryways. Uncovering them is important. 
They can be situations or simple or serious neglect or abandonment, harassment, abuse, rejection by parents, siblings, friends, or enemies. They may be emotional, psychological, spiritual, developmental, involving the personality or person's will. When we name and identify them, we gain power over them. The first area may be unconfessed sin, repeated sin. Remember, I asked you last time to talk, think about those areas in our own lives where maybe we've got stuck in sin. Maybe there's something that we didn't even realize. Maybe reading the appendix in the back of the book, whoa, I had no idea that was a sin. And that's been in my life. You know, that can happen for all of us. The enemy gets behind sin and holds us in bondage. John 8.34 says, Jesus answered them saying, Amen, amen, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin. So we can become slaves to sin. Now, is that, no, that's not the end of the world because Jesus Christ destroys that and he can set us free. Resulting ingrained patterns, though, make it hard to distinguish right from wrong. We are deceived. We are deceived. You know, as a child, perhaps, fear or embarrassment or punishment, feeling powerless, may begin telling lies and become habitual in telling lies. Repeated sin becomes ingrained as a habit, a way of thinking and acting almost automatically without even reflecting on it very much. It just kind of becomes happening, just the way we live our life. And we're not even sure where it's coming from. You know, and so those things, that's why the silence, okay? You know, I, I knew a hermit. He lived out in southern Colorado. Sorry for my little diversions here, but um, the silence thing is important. Um, and, and he once told me, he says, you know, a lot of people come out and want to think that this would be a great place to live. I'd really, I could really thrive out here. He says, a lot of people come out to, to, to live for a while. He says, not many make it past two weeks because it's silent. And the silence, we have to deal with ourselves and all of our stuff. And guess what happens when we're silent? All these little memories start to float to the top. And so we don't like to be silent because we don't like to think about that stuff. The enemy likes to make us think about it, to make us depressed and make us frustrated. Holy Spirit gently does it to help us deal with it. But silence is crucial. It's, 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 a, it's a powerful thing because it's where we can hear God. We can hear God trying to touch our hearts and we can get to see what's really in our hearts, because what comes up, that's what's in our hearts. Trying to get somebody to do what I want and control, perhaps, is another way that's, that this kind of a uh, thing can happen to us. A stronghold is built when we give in to sin and deny or justify it. Oh, I can do that. That's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. Everybody's doing that. You know, um, that's all over the place. You know, examples, perhaps, when we, when we give Satan permission to build or or when thoughts build upon each other, you know, like different things. We, we've been hurt, and so we get angry. And then we, get, then we get bitter about it. Then we get resentful about it. And then we decide we need some revenge. And we start to hate. You know, so it's like every like, layer of bricks, they keep building a wall. They keep building a wall to, to keep us from getting to the other side, which is God's peace, and which is forgiveness, and which is renunciation, which tears down the wall. Our sin problem becomes more than a flesh problem. When it becomes demonically empowered, addictive, and compulsive, um, it can get bigger. There's two responses to trauma. That's the next area, responses to trauma. You know, what is trauma? I heard, um, I'm not sure if you ever heard before, somebody termed, put me on to it. I think it's uh, Adam Young. It's a podcast called The Place Where We Find Ourselves. And he gave me, he said on there, he says, he explained what trauma was, which was really brilliant, I thought. It's very simple. It's a moment in our life, um, so to say, when we are, something bad is happening, but we feel, one, powerless, and two, abandoned. Powerless and abandoned. There's a sign of trauma. And we have lots of trauma. We've all probably had trauma in our lives. 
when we felt powerless about a situation and felt like no one was there for us. You know, that becomes a traumatic experience by which the enemy can get a foothold in our life. So our response to these events and others, judgments of our responsibility. You know, um, Deuteronomy 30, chapter chapter 30, verse 19. um, Call heaven and earth today to witness against you. I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. Choose life then, that you and your descendants may live. So again, even though whatever struggle or trial is there, it's our choice. We're free. Okay, we're not controlled by anybody. We're free. We can make a choice any time of our life. And it's God's grace that helps us make good choices. The enemy wants to make us bad choices. God gives us grace to lift our hearts, the sacraments of prayer. All of that is, enables us to make good choices, to overcome bad choices. We need to take responsibility for how we have responded to the things that have happened to us. You know, maybe we're betrayed, and so we make a vow. I'll never trust that person again. Or I'll never trust a man. Or I'll never trust a woman. Or I'll never trust a boss. You know, we can vow that we'll never do something again because we've been hurt. Because we've been hurt, and it's painful. And so we subconsciously make this vow to protect ourselves. And that's the anatomy of a wound. It's a, it's a, it's a hurt, a wound, then there's a vow around it. And that protects it. And there's lies. Okay, or the lie, maybe, is inside there also. Perhaps it's withholding our heart from the one who hurt us. That might be mom or dad. It might be our spouse. I once did an unbound session with someone, and it took a while. But there was this moment of, of, of light that came in. I forget how long it went, but it was a sense of asking, well, when did you first feel like that? And there was a sense of, as a little child, this terrible this thing happened. And in that moment, all of a sudden they realized that they closed their heart, closed their heart, because of the pain they experienced in that child, maybe four years old. They closed their heart to their mother and father or whoever it was. You know, and, and that's something that the entryway point is so, is so powerful to say, when did we first experience that? One time it was experience of, of someone who had intense anger. Well, when was the first time you experienced that? Well, when I was five years old, my sister ripped the hair out of my doll. I became enraged. First time. Okay? And so, so all those little things, we don't think much about them, but they go, whoa, whoa, okay, that's when it started. That was the first time. The first time is a big time. Um, that's where things can get started. It doesn't mean that's, so, so that's where you go back in prayer and we say, I forgive that person who did that to me then. I renounce the spirit that came to me then. Then. Sometimes a person may be married and, and doesn't fully give of themselves. Or we can't compare, but we can't compare our lives with others. We all have different stories. Um, we all become manipulated and manipulate ourselves. And so we, we work in this brokenness because God wants to be with us. And so these all are opportunities to invite God into our life. Taking responsibility is not the same as taking blame. Okay, that's a huge thing. Taking responsibility is not the same as taking blame. We don't judge ourselves, just take responsibility for what happened or for what we can do now, what we can do now. And so that's a big point. Taking responsibility does not mean we accept or we take blame for it. Just saying, where do I go now? Okay, this is where I'm at. Where do I want to go? And, and, we, and we work. And that breaks away from the idea of a victim. Um, a victim is, is under control by somebody else has to fix it. But uh, when we take responsibility, we're saying, no, I'm in control. And I want to go this way. It's my choice. With God's grace. 
Exodus chapter 20, verse 5 and 6, there's a thing called family sin. You shall not bow down before them or serve them. For the Lord, I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, inflicting punishment on their ancestors, wickedness on the children of those who hate me down to the third and fourth generation, but upon love down to the thousand generation, for those who love me and keep my commandments. Sinful patterns are passed from one generation to the next, however subtly, even genetically. Alcoholism, they say, can be as the alcoholic basically just changed their DNA. And that change in DNA can make a, make a, make a, a, a potential for the person, the child, to actually have a, 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 a weakness for that area also. Anger, pride, greed, impure spirits, victim spirits, critical spirit, argumentative, self-justification and control. There's even, I, it was even one situation I had where it was a, there was a, it was a spirit that would, would skip the generation. And so it was, it was a sense of breaking that in the confessional of saying, do you renounce that? You know, you renounce that. Get rid of that. You know, um, and that. So there's there's that reality that uh, spirits like to hang around families. You know, and if there's somebody in the family who's been horribly greedy or horribly angry, or horribly prideful, and then that's kind of like, hey, I'm hanging out here. I got a right to be here. And so they can look for other people in the family to kind of start stirring that same stuff with. You know, again, the wounds are hurt. We learn our, those habits by the way of thinking. For example, if it's greed, if our mom and dad are greedy, and we learn to be greedy too. You know, if they're if they're angry, we kind of learn to be pick up anger too. You know, and so, again, it's not the spirit always. They're just coming there because our brokenness gives them a landing spot to come and sit with us. We cancel the enemy's plans, not by willpower, but by taking hold of our freedom in Christ and taking personal responsibility for how evil spirits may have affected our lives, may have affected our lives. The next area is curses and self-inflicted curses. Speaking evil into someone, which is what a curse is, just the opposite of a blessing, which is speaking good into someone and do well-being into a person. So blessings, speaking goodness and well-being into a person. Curses, speaking evil into a person. And so what is that happening? Negative thoughts about oneself and body, as well as negative words from parents and caregivers, are destructive. Examples, maybe some have heard, um, you're worthless. You know, maybe a father says that to a child, you're worthless. Or how do we break that? I forgive dad for saying, uh, and break the power of his words when he said, I'm worthless. You know, you can break those words. That's not, that's not something that has to be there forever. You know, those kind of things can linger in our mind and can kind of taint our, our attitude toward life. Um, maybe it was, I'm ugly. I hate myself. My body. Self-hatred. I deserve this. You know, again, I break the power. name Jesus, I break the power of the words when I said this to myself. Or when I say this, when I see myself in the mirror. You know, name Jesus, I break the power of these words. Name Jesus, I renounce this self-curse. And I proclaim Christ the Lord. And I am beautiful. I am wonderful as he made, as Psalm 139 says. Or maybe it's the words, no one could ever love you. No one could ever love me. Or you'll never get married. Or you never amount to anything. Or you're worthless. You know, anger and frustration, can, people can say all kinds of things, not realizing that those things have power. Those words have very, have, are very powerful. But yet, they're not all powerful because only God is, and he can break all of that and set us free, and set us free. Recognizing the fear, the unbelief, or the lie, and renouncing it quickly will uncover the entryway that allowed the curse to take hold. As Proverbs 26 says, Like a fluttering sparrow or a darting swallow, an undeserved curse does not come to rest. 
So if somebody says something, you go, that's not true. I don't believe like, I don't act like that. Or that's not me. I don't believe that. It's not going to affect you, you know. Uh, so, yeah. So knowing who we are and our identity in Christ, you know, um, some people have that. Some people don't. Different situations, different people can affect it. Um, one person may say it, doesn't matter. Another person says it, it does matter. You know, so we recognize that this is still claiming our responsibility and our power and our identity. We are beloved children of God, you know. For example, you know, uh, as, as the things that were going on in my own attacks from the, from the, from the other side um, back on, I remember one night just being very, very harassed and realizing that this was a fear and that the fear was opening the doorway for the enemy, for the spirits to attack me, har- harass me. And it was just like a fear of being cursed. And so when I said that, in the name of Jesus, I forgive this person again. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the fear uh, of being cursed. It was like I felt something literally come out of me leave me, you know, um, and that's real, a lot of people say that, you know, that happens sometimes, and so those are real things, and so um, our fears can be very powerful in, in, in keeping us burdened, keeping us bound up, since accepting the curse center is our authority, recognize the need for proper boundaries in the spirit, okay, there's, there's a, I was in Philadelphia at the World Media Families with the Holy Father a couple, two, three years ago, how many years ago that was, and we stopped at the, the Philadelphia Cathedral, and I'm walking in, and here this woman just finished a mass, and this woman kind of kinds of beeline up to me, and she says, "Oh, can I go to confession? You know, I was just here to mass, but I couldn't receive communion. It's been 40 years since I went to confession, you know." And and so I said, "Why? Well, there's confessions all over." It says, "Was well, nobody here in confession as well?" Okay, I'll go hear confession. Fine, no problem. It was a little odd, a little strange, um, but after getting out of the confessional, all of a sudden this person was like standing there. I'm going, "What did you say? Your penance?" Well, no. I said, "Well, what, well, let's say it then." You know, I had asked him to kneel down for the blessed mother. You know, and I couldn't, couldn't do that. Okay, so well, let's just say it, kind of fine, 40 years, whatever, you know. And then the person was like lingering, you know, and just kind of for like 10 minutes, just kind of stand there looking at me. I'm going, this is kind of weird. You know, and they said, can I take your picture? Can I take your picture? I went, no, 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 that's weird. Okay, and I had another priest. Okay, fine, fine, take a picture, fine. Well, that night, um, another curse. Okay, so this is kind of the level of of things, you know, uh, the spirits can, anyway, but the reality being that we give access to people. You know, my giving access, permission, gave them access to me. And so there is a reality there that is also there. So, for example, um, if someone give a hand to a palm reader, we give them access to our life to say, this is who you are. This is what you'll be. You've just given access to them. Okay, the same way I did to that person there. Give access. You know, if cursed, then some part of it sometimes agrees. You know, if the person says, well, you're never going to get married, and you think, well, I never thought you'd get married anyway, you know, uh, well, that's pretty messed up, <laughs> okay? Um, but, but, there's, but there's that sense in which they accept it, um, again, you know, accepting that, 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 that false word, that lie from a palm reader, for example, you know? So another point being is, is the involvement kind of in that same direction, you know, believing something from the horoscopes, you know? Oh, uh, this is going to happen today. You know what? Well, you've just given power to that horoscope, which is basically baloney anyway. Um, and, and so it's, it's, it's giving that power to somebody who has no power. You know, could we give them the power? The enemy doesn't get his power. From, it gets power from us, basically. And so in involvement with the occult, you know, Deuteronomy 18, uh, verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 9, uh, 9 and 10. Um, verse 10 says, Let there be not found among you anyone who causes their son or daughter to pass through the fire, or practices divination, or is a soothsayer, augur, or sorcerer, uh, or who casts spells, consults ghosts or spirits, or seeks oracles from the dead, 
Anyone who does such things is an abomination to the Lord. And because of such abomination, the Lord your God is dispossessing them before you. You must be altogether sincere with the Lord your God. Now, the interesting thing is, two verses later, verse 15, it says that a prophet like me will come into the world. He is who you should listen to. That was Moses. And he was talking about Jesus Christ. Two verses later. He says, don't listen to the spirits, don't listen to, the, to witches, don't listen to oracles, don't listen to the dead or any kind of thing like this. Listen to Jesus Christ, the prophet like me who has come, he's the one you should listen to. Now, why is this present? I remember having a, a problem, there was a priest in Africa, was doing a missionary appeal. And I asked him, he had done his work on deliverance or something in Africa. I said, why, why is there so much possession of stuff in Africa? He says, one, there's very few people baptized. There's only 2% Christian, or maybe more now. He says, many go to the occult, witch doctor, etc., because they don't believe God will take care of them. And just in case, we'll go to them too. So they go to both, you know. He also said, and the problem going to a cult opens the door of the soul by an act of the will. Okay? That's different than a sin of passion. See, uh, spirits will track with mortal sins because they want to destroy your soul. And so mortal sin opens the door to whatever sin that was to a spirit like that to kind of keep tempting us. Okay? So um, spirits can enter by repeated mortal sin, impurity, etc. But, but through moral weakness, surrendering self to the power that is not God. Okay, so basically, it's, um, it's when you make an act of the will to go to a cult or to practice witchcraft or to play the Ouija board or any of these things like this, that's an act of the will. You're choosing. Okay, passions are, are somewhat different because they're, they're, our, our will is weakened and our will isn't in full control sometimes because of alcohol or things like this. And so they're somewhat less um, um, damaging. But the act of the will, now this is a, da- a danger in our time because of the reality of so much of our time and so much of the, of the medium, you know, whether it be books and TV shows and things like this, are concerned presenting witchcraft. This is a very real thing. Okay, more and more it's become, oh, that's just another, no big deal. And there's lots of more, much, much more interest in it, and it's becoming a, a bigger, much, big, much, much bigger thing. And so because we, we don't believe, and many go to the occult side, for example, for these different reasons, um, they're desperate for help. Um, and it opens that door. It opens that door of, of, of the will. And so it has to be willing to say no to those things, you know, in familiarity of things you know or people that you know, um, and say, no, that's not good stuff. Catechism 2116, all forms of divination are to be rejected, recourse to Satan or demons, conjuring up the dead, or other practices falsely supposed to unveil the future, Consulting horoscopes, astrology, palm reading, interpretation of omens, and lots, the phenomena of clairvoyance and recourse to mediums, all conceal the desire for power over time, history, and in the last analysis, over other human beings. As well as a wish to conciliate hidden powers, they contradict the honor, respect, and loving fear that we owe to God alone. And the appendix in the back of the book is much more detailed in, things that, in this area also. Um, it seeks control over our world and other people. This is what the occult does. You know? It contradicts the honor, fear, and loving respect that we owe to God alone. And it allows demons to entangle themselves again in, with our whole person. It results in a loss of a sense of dig- identity because we give sense, our, control, our life over to someone else, expecting them to take care of our life or, do our li- or, or, or fix our life or to predict our life. And that's, none of that's of God because that's all of the enemy. When we give our false, only God can guide us in that way. And therefore, it diminishes faith, and, and, a, and it's a sin against faith, because it's saying, I don't want to trust God, 
But I want to ask and grab at this power over here that this power wants to try and tell me this. Rather than trusting God, I want this. And so that's the problem. And the next area is rebellion and disobedience. Um, Bigger than we think. Lack of submission to God given authority opens the doors to demonic influence, as does peer pressure and unhealthy associations, personal family, and parish. St. Faustina, um, uh, Jesus appeared to her and asked her to do something for him. And St. Faustina also asked her superior without telling her that it was Jesus who was was his request. The superior said no, absolutely not, and told her to do something else. She was torn as to who obeyed, Jesus or my superior. She decided to obey her superior. Jesus appeared to her and told her then, after that, that he was pleased, that it pleased him even more that she was obedient to her superior. It pleased him even more that she was obedient to her superior rather than to him. What a test. What a test, huh? Wow. And so there's obedience. You know, under proper obedience, it is a protection. Do we even consider how much our disobedience to the teachings of Jesus and his church open our souls to so many evils? Our refusal to follow the teachings of the church, Jesus' church, it's his church. God's law and the teachings of the church put us in a very protected area, very protected area. A broken relationship with parents is very dangerous as parents are the source of identity in children. Redeemed relationships by forgiveness enable us to understand who we are as God's children. You know, so healing our broken relationships with our parents is, is, is a crucial thing for finding out who we are, find out who, as, as God's children. The lies, another area then, I think the eighth area, is, is the lies we have believed. When we swallow the lie and allow evil to be, enter our lives, um, spirits become entangled as part of the self-perception of who we are. They get messed up. And I told you about my, my first, my experience, the lie that I, that I really allowed me to experience unbound freedom the first time. But there's another, another lies, you know. Um, I told you about the, uh, um, the situation of, of asking what the enemy's plan was, you know, and, and I did that. You know, I did that in prayer that one morning. And I remember the word happening, it was a destruction. I go, wow. Remember, remember the angel of death was called the destroyer? At the Passover, that's a pretty big one, pretty big one, you know. And so, um, and, it, and it immediately, my mind clicked into all the things that happened in my life. Five years old, I got hit by a car. Eight years old, I got uh, diabetes. Ten years old, I got run over by a tractor. Ten years old, I got my leg caught in a rain auger. Car accidents, ones that should have taken my life probably, but by the grace of God, I've been saved. Sixty mile an hour head-on car crash. Okay, destruction. It's pretty clear what he wants. Be it Christ wants life. Christ wants uh, a future full of hope. Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, you know. And so God wants to do great things, and God's the one in charge. He's the one in charge. Nothing happens without Him allowing it. He's the one in charge, you know. And so, what a powerful moment. And so one night I was I remember being kind of harassed at this, and and also realizing, asking asking the Holy Spirit, what is this? And the, Again, it was like a, the word destruction came in. So I renounced the spirit of destruction, forgave the person, renounced the spirit of destruction, commanded to leave. Again, it was like something came out of me, you know. Um, and what a powerful moment, you know. God is good. Like I said, my story is probably a little extreme, okay. You probably don't have these things like this in your life, okay. Mine's, like I said, it's a little more extreme probably. Uh, but God knows I got a pretty thick head. I'm a little slow, so it takes a little farther 
hard for me to get through things. Um, okay, the last, number nine. Sexual intercourse outside of marriage. Um, this, the, the beautiful reality of, of, of sexuality in marriage and what God has done is so profound. I mean, just the, the medical truths about it are just overwhelming when you start to study it and learn about it. The spiritual, but there's a spiritual bond formed because God's intention in marriage is that the two become one through sexual intimacy. Remember, marriage isn't valid until the marriage is consummated. Because the consummation of the marriage, the two becoming one in flesh, is the actual manifestation of the vows of giving oneself to the other, completely and totally. And that can't happen until the vows have been given. And so anything outside of that is a lie. Is a lie. Because nobody's saying that person, is, if, they, if they haven't been married, they don't have to stay with them. And yet you said that they're forever. And that intimacy is meant to be a bond for eternal, for, for, for marriage till death. It's a manifestation of the vows. And so when that happens outside of marriage, it's a lie. And with that lie is the enemy, there's a, there's a real bond being made to that person. And so that has to be broken. You know, I've, I've been in several number of situations where a person is just tormented by, by temptations. And as we ask you know, about that situation, all of a sudden it comes out that this was something before marriage. And all of a sudden, to break the spiritual bonds, they're just relieved. All has gone. You know, so the enemy uses all these things. You know, one, uh, one wise holy woman told me, he says, Father, he said, you can tell couples. He says, before marriage, the enemy wants to do everything he can to bring you together. And once you get married, he does everything he can to tear you apart. Yeah, wise words. Wise words. So it's about breaking unholy ties, unholy spiritual ties. And so, Scripture says... Um, I think I've said that already. Okay. So in the name of Jesus, um, I break all physical and spiritual unholy ties and take back what I gave them or what they took from me. You know, so there's a breaking. And so if that's part of your life, please don't hold that back, but allow that to come in is breaking the spiritual bonds that may be in our lives. You know, um, and that's a a very, very powerful thing. Um, Broken spiritual bonds allow evil access through a place of rejection and hurt. Because ultimately, that person wasn't your spouse, and so there's a rejection there. After giving oneself completely to the other, all of a sudden there's a rip. There's a rejection that's extremely painful and, and, and wounding. So also times when things happen where there becomes a codependent relationship, even sexual relationship, or a controlling parent. Codependency is when we give up our, the authority of our life and identity to another. I realized this once when I was being prayed with and remembering how much I was hurt because another family member was causing my parent, one of my parents, great pain. And so I renounced codependency and found it wasn't, I wasn't dependent anymore on their happiness to be happy myself. There's a great sign. When I can't be happy if someone else isn't happy. You know, there's codependency happening. You know, that I'm connected to them in such a way that I'm experiencing pain when that's not me. That's someone else. And they, they have, everybody has a right to their own person. And so do we. The effect of inappropriate sexual relationships or even a controlling parent can and need to be broken. We learn to take back what the enemy has stolen. In the name of Jesus, I renounce every physical and spiritual tie with so-and-so, be specific, the name, and take back what I gave to them or what was taken from me. The fourth key of the command key is given to us in Christ. Christ fulfilled prophecy by defeating our enemies through his death and resurrection. Zechariah, his father, filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesied, saying, 
Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel. He has visited people and redemption to his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation with the house of David, his servant. Even he's promised the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. So salvation. As sons and daughters of God, we carry his authority over our enemies, his power, God's power. Authority is the power to act on behalf of someone else. You know, like a uh, prime minister or a uh, uh, nuncio to, to another country. They act for the power of the pope, you know, and, and even this, and they'll be in the bishops. Um, even governments have this also. So as sons and daughters, we are then called that we can command our enemies to go, breaking the legal right of the enemy and speak in the name of Jesus and his person and character um, that only Jesus can. It's not you, it is Jesus who does this. We speak with God given authority in his name, in the power of in his person. So we say in the name of Jesus, the name literally means the person of. So when I say in the name of Jesus, I'm saying in the power of the person of Jesus Christ, God himself, I renounce this, or I forgive this person. Which means in forgiveness, our heart may be difficult, may be struggling, and then we say, I can't do it myself. Okay, that's fine. Let Jesus do it with you. When the command is given after the keys of repentance for forgiveness and renunciation has been applied, the enemy has to leave. His legal right has been broken. Forgiveness breaks that right. Renunciation makes him leave. Command closes the door. Principles to uphold in, in order to, to avoid abuses in deliverance ministry. Okay, basically, we do not look for demons or to confront or challenge them, but for the doors that have been opened to the enemy. So we just want to know where the enemy came in, and we're going to close the door. The hard work is forgiveness. In a way, that is the big gun. You know, we hold that the dignity of the person is primary. Make love your aim. Minimize manifestations. Um, we do not dialogue with demons. I mean, the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, 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 of people have been prayed with, there's just, I mean, uh, even in our diocese, I mean, there's maybe one possibly even slight little thing ever happens. So it's, it's extremely rare because it's non-confrontational. It just doesn't, ha- it just rarely ever happens. And so it's not something to really even worry about. We look for the root cause, the primary entryway that has been open to allow the activity of the enemy. If we remove the foundational lie, the legal right, the Hema has to leave. Or any spirit affecting us, influencing. So it's, again, it's not like we, it's always them, but it's them kind of connect with our own weakness. But in renouncing, we're saying, we don't want you, and I don't want this anymore either. And so there's like a twofold movement happening. We speak only the categories of spirits, anger, pride. We don't name them or anything like that. We just say, any spirit of lust or any spirit of pride or any spirit of anger, okay, I renounce. It's done with. No room for it. So at this time, we're going to move to our, to our um, um, prayers of intercession. And what that's going to be is just a little practice. So please stand. So what we're going to do is we're going to renounce uh, lies and spirits behind the lies. Um, if have not repented, then repent. Uh, also, in the name of Jesus, I repent of this. You know, if you guys were going through these things, um, some of them may touch your heart and be noticed of those. Be aware of that. It's something kind of like, whoa, that was kind of powerful, that one was. We'll make kind of note of that one, okay? Maybe one, maybe two, maybe three, maybe four. Um, and, and just allow yourself to be aware that that's in a, a little, a mini experience of, of, of freedom. And recognize that's one of them. Wow, okay. Um, I will say in the name of Jesus, and you will repeat in the name of Jesus, then I'll say I renounce of the spirit of or of this, and you will repeat it, okay? So be just back and forth, okay? And so it's a little prayer. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this moment in which you desire to touch our lives. You desire with the great joy of a loving father for your son to now 
manifest his love for us in setting us free. We ask for that mustard seed of faith, which can move mountains, just to believe that you are a loving, good father, and that you desire so much to touch our hearts in the wounded areas, the dark areas, and to bring us light, to bring us light and peace that only you can give. So we'll start. Repeat after me. In the name of Jesus. Okay, remember, renounce means I don't want it anymore. I'm done with it. Okay, in the name of Jesus. I renounce the spirit of pride. In the name of Jesus. I renounce the spirit of self-righteousness. In the name of Jesus. I renounce superiority. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of unforgiveness. In the name of Jesus, I renounce self-condemnation. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of rejection. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the fear of rejection. In the name of Jesus. I renounce self-hatred. In the name of Jesus, I renounce criticism. In the name of Jesus, I renounce self-criticism. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of self-pity. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of guilt. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of shame. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of anger. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of revenge. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of hatred. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of violence. In the name of Jesus, I renounce all spirits of fear. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of anxiety. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of worry. In the name of Jesus, I renounce worthlessness. In the name of Jesus, I renounce hopelessness. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of powerlessness. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of despair. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of loneliness. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of sadness. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of depression. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of lust. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of pornography. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of self-abuse. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the lie that something is wrong with me. Now for a moment, just think of 
what perhaps you may have done uh, in the occult in your life. In the name of Jesus, I renounce any spirit that came to me and then just whisper very lightly um, what you may have done. Be horoscopes, Ouija boards, witchcraft books, anything else, curses, spells. I'll take a moment to think of any traumas that you may have experienced in your life. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the fear that entered me when, and you can whisper whatever it was that happened to you. And it's important to whisper because the Spirit hears it physically manifest through our lips. He can hear whispers. In, this, in the name of Jesus, name of Jesus. I, renounce I renounce legalism. In the name of Jesus, name of Jesus. I renounce the spirit of perfectionism. In the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of control. Now, you've got your own stuff. You can deal with it now. What may still be coming up in mind, even repeat ones that, that were powerfully moved you when we said them. Now is kind of the final command, okay? Repeat after me, then I'll do it one time over you also, okay? In the name of Jesus, name of Jesus. I break the power, break the power. Of, every of every spirit I have renounced, I have renounced. of every lie that I have renounced, and I command it to leave me right now. And for one's faith who may be a little weak, perhaps, I will say it over you also. In the name of Jesus, I break the power of every spirit and every lie that you have renounced, and I command it to leave you right now. To go for the cross and be done with as Jesus desires. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Praise you, Lord.